avoidance of shaking hands and being close to you is not because I want to be distant from you, but because of uh, being with my mother this past week in the hospital. For that, I do not apologize. My mother has been through so much for all of us and for my family, and I knew that when I left our daughter's house on Wednesday morning, when I got the call that her oxygen level had dropped, having been checked at home, that... uh, At least for that trip, I had held my grandson for the last time and would not be able to be in the same room with my daughter and her family. But I'm thankful for every moment that God has given me with my mother, and we are optimistic that she will be home in the next couple of days as she recovers from pneumonia. So again, I ask your patience with me as uh, I needed to be with her, the only one in my family who could in the providence of God, but I'm thankful. Nothing like being in the emergency room with a mom who had nurses training in the mid-1950s at Mission Hospital in Asheville as she regaled the nurses with uh, stories about how there, for example, there were 22 in her class starting out at Mission Hospital in 1953. And when they were required to attend an autopsy, the number in her class dropped to 11. She said that uh, that experience only confirmed in her her desire to be a nurse because she was fascinated by it all. That's my mama. So thankful for her. So we got to uh, uh, see our grandson and celebrate his arrival. Also got to celebrate Thanksgiving with family. My dad's 90th birthday as well. So just lots of milestones. So thank you for allowing us to be away. And uh, I promise once this span of time goes by and uh, can be back with you safely, I'll do that. In the meantime, our scripture this morning is taken from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Please forgive me for typing the wrong reference at the top of the sheet, but you have the correct scripture passage there nevertheless. And I pulled out this section. Normally, Luke 1, 39 to 45, is put together with what's known as the Magnificat that comes after it in verses 46 through 55. But I wanted to deal with this passage by itself. One, because we have the Lord's Supper today, and I want to be brief. I had an older pastor who told me years ago, he gave me the best advice anybody ever gave me concerning hospital visits as a pastor. He said, son, remember three things. Be brief, be bright, and be gone. If people felt like being in the hospital... You know, if they wanted to visit, they wouldn't be in the hospital. So I want to be brief, be bright, and be gone this morning. Otherwise, I just think it's a wonderful part of the Christmas story. And so let's consider this this morning. Luke 1, beginning with verse 39. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
And so as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. She was in a hurry. Many of us have been in a hurry in the course of life, and usually it's when I'm in a hurry that I get myself in the most trouble. My grandfather used to advise me when driving, he would say, don't ever get in a rush, that's when you get in trouble. But Mary was in haste because something extraordinary had occurred as the angel had declared to her that God, the Holy Spirit, would conceive in her, the Lord Jesus Christ, she received that news based on faith, even though she did not comprehend it. And we cannot comprehend it yet today. We can understand as much as we're able, humanly speaking, but how is it that God, the Holy Spirit, miraculously would place in the womb of the Virgin Mary, conceive in her in miraculous fashion, the Savior of sinners, and yet Mary remain a virgin. Don't ever let anyone convince you that the word simply means young woman. A pastor, well, let me say somebody who masqueraded as a pastor, I don't believe he really was one, said years ago, well, if there was a baby, there had to be a man around somewhere. That's astounding heresy. Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary, who had never had relations with a man, gave birth to the Savior of the world. And she, having received this news, she accepted it by faith. And now she hastily moved to the south of the promised land of Israel. South of Jerusalem, the prominent town in Judah is Hebron, but we're not told really the town that she went to, simply that it was in that vicinity. And entering the house of Zechariah, she's greeted by her relative, by her cousin Elizabeth. You know, it's nothing like being greeted when you go in somebody's home and somebody's glad to see you. Of course, I've been greeted by people who hadn't been glad to see me, but I'm thankful for those welcomes that I have received through the course of life when people are genuinely glad that I'm there. And she was received warmly and welcomed into the home. And But when she greeted Elizabeth, and Elizabeth heard Mary speak, the baby leaped in her womb. Now let's be clear about this, especially on this day after the wonderful walk for life or the pregnancy resource center that the word in the greek is brephos it was a baby that leaped in his mother's womb the word brephos is precisely the same word that is used later when luke speaks of the baby that was wrapped in swaddling cloths and was laid in a manger The Bible makes no distinction, and those who follow or otherwise are concerned about the will of God, neither do we make a distinction between the baby that is in the womb and the baby that is outside of the womb. We recognize that we are created in the image of God, and that child inside the mother is a person. Please let that permeate your hearts and your minds. Don't let the world dictate to you its own ideas or notions. Let God's word 
rule and reign. And let us accept it. It was the baby, a baby, that left. And let us understand, too, that while all this is mysterious, how did that baby know? Let's understand that the Holy Spirit, not ultimately human intelligence, gives us understanding of the truth. How is it that today some of the most brilliant scholars that the world has ever produced, as one man said, they've got more degrees than Fahrenheit, and yet they disbelieve any notion of God, they don't believe in creation, they don't believe in redemption, they don't believe in the Lord Jesus, they don't believe in the Bible. What about these brilliant people who disbelieve all of these things and the way in which that causes skepticism to take root in so many, especially college students who listen to them hold forth from their podiums of influence? How is it? And yet at the same time, there are little children who get it. As I can remember one little girl saying to me in a communicants class one time, she said, Pastor, can't nothing come from nothing. Now, you think about that. I know that's a double negative, but that's profound theological truth right there. It's true. Something can't come from nothing. God created the world. Redemption comes by way of Jesus Christ. I was asking this uh, same little girl one time when I was uh, asking the class, I said, what is sin? And uh, one by one, the children said, well, sin is something bad. One said, it's when you don't do what your parents tell you to do. I said, that's good. You hang on to that. <clears throat> and the same little girl said, she scrunched, and she said, sin is anything that displeases God. Six years old. And there are people with PhDs today who don't get that. How is it possible that individuals can come to an understanding of the truth? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says very clearly, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So you see, it's not that we're smart enough to figure things out. It's that God, the Holy Spirit, enlightens us in the knowledge of the truth. And for whatever mysterious reasons, God's chosen instrument dwelling in the womb of Elizabeth, the one who would be John the Baptist, hearing Mary's voice, leapt for joy. Would that all of us had the sense of that unborn infant to be able to receive gladly the voice as we hear it. Yes, indeed, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You see, God is not constrained to save by the many or the few. God has done amazing and extraordinary things through the most unlikely of people. And if he can use an unborn infant, I guarantee you, he can use you. In the course of my ministry, many people have said to me, Pastor, I would love to be of more use in the church, but I'm just not able to do things. One man told me one time, he said, I can't even read. He said, I start to read my Bible and I fall asleep and I just struggle. And he said, I just wish God could use me. 
God is able to do all things. With him, all things are possible. And so when we think of the way that he uses extraordinary people in extraordinary ways, he generally uses the most unlikely of people in the most unlikely of places. In fact, when you look at Scripture, seldom is the case that he uses the typical ones who would be cast in a Hollywood production. He generally uses nobodies from nowhere. I don't know about you, but I qualify for that. I was standing in my daughter's front yard in the last couple of weeks, and I was looking out at Hyatt Creek and the fields there that my distant cousin Robert Hyatt owns. I looked at those cattle out there, and I was thankful I was still seeing cattle in those fields and not housing developments. Not that I'm against progress, but I probably have a different idea of progress than most people. And uh, I was looking at that little place, and I thought about, you know, on a great world map, Hyatt Creek, North Carolina, doesn't even register. It's not even a pinprick on there. I mean, it's just not, if you look at a globe, it's not there. It ought to be, but it's not. And I was sitting there thinking, who am I? And I thought of the psalmist who was gazing up into the heavens and looking at the vast myriad of the stars. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would visit him? But that's really not the question. It's not about who we are. It's about who God is. And God can do anything he wants with whomever he wants. So I simply want to encourage you with that today as we read this passage. And then very quickly to move on and to say this, that it's right to honor Mary. We honor the one that God chose to bear his son. But let's not confuse honoring her with worshiping her. God never intended for us to worship Mary. And let me say this with all delicacy and sensitivity that I can. Praying to someone by definition is worshiping that individual. Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus is the way in which we have direct access to the throne of God. We're not honoring Mary by placing her in a position that God never intended her to be. But let's not allow the pendulum to swing so far away from that that we denigrate her. Mary was a sinner saved by grace just like anyone else in Scripture. Yet God favored her. The angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. His gracious kindness to her in choosing her to bear the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary herself says later, as we'll consider next week, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Luke 1.48. Blessed is she. Um, as some of you read a Facebook post that I made about my mom recently, another event that occurred while she was a nurse's training. You know, you get stories from me. That's what I'm good for. I, <clears throat> I try to avoid what Dr. John Reed Miller used to call the the skyscraper method of preaching. You know what? That is story on top of story. So I, I don't want to go there. But at the same time, my, my mom was in nurses training about, and it was about 1954 or 55 as best she could remember. And uh, she found herself one day scrubbing with Dr. L. Nelson Bell, who was uh, a resident there at the hospital, a surgeon, who happened to be Billy Graham's father-in-law, Ruth Graham's dad. Dr. Bell had been a medical missionary in China for years, had to leave there when the country, you know, experienced tumult. Uh, 
And he came back uh, to North Carolina, was living there in the Asheville area, and was serving as a, a surgeon there. And my mom was a trainee, just a trainee. She wasn't a nurse yet. And she found herself there scrubbing with Dr. Bell. And he was talking to her and telling her about how she knew her dad, my papa, Bill Winchester. Both of them were ruling elders serving in the Asheville Presbytery at that time. They had met each other at Presbytery, served my grandfather, who was not a pastor by any means. High school education was all office manager at the local tannery. Yet such a wonderful, humble, and godly man. And Dr. Bell liked him, and she had just... He had just made that comment to my mom when the head nurse poked her head in and said, Oh, Dr. Bell, I'm sorry. I'll get a nurse to scrub with you. Dr. Bell turned around and said, Miss Winchester will do just fine. Thank you. My mama said she would rather have gotten that commendation from him at that time than a recommendation from President Dwight B. Eisenhower. Blessed are you among women. When God saw that the man and the woman had sinned, and he asked questions not to find out information from them. You understand that. As Rachel was reading that Old Testament passage, it wasn't like God was in the dark about anything that had happened. It was their opportunity to come clean. And the man came so close, didn't he? The woman that thou gavest me. Guys, we've been using that excuse ever since. There's a whole difference in the world between excusing our sin and repenting of it. But even though that expression or confession of sin was so imperfect, nevertheless, God proclaimed good news that day. The very woman who had partaken of the fruit and had eaten it and who gave to her husband, who was with her, he wasn't off somewhere distant, absent from the thing. He had the opportunity right then to speak up. Someone has written a book called The Silence of Adam, and it speaks a lot to the situation of males in our society and the way in which we sin by doing and saying nothing. Think about that. He gave some, she gave some to her husband who was with her. Yet, the one who sinned is the one from whom God ultimately would bring forth the solution to this great dilemma. For it would be the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman. Normally in Scripture, it would be the offspring of the male. For just a little bit later, we read those chapters where so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. It's always the father. And yet he said the offspring or the seed of the woman would be the means by which the head of the serpent is bruised or crushed. How is it that the one who initially sinned and ate of the fruit would be the means by which God brings forth redemption? Because with God, all things are possible. How is it that the cross, the ignominious death of the Lord Jesus Christ, would become the means of salvation for the world? Because God is able, above all, he is able. And so... We read this with promise, and we rightly honor Mary, even if we understand we are not to worship her. And then finally, we understand that in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy, a joy that overflows. 
As I said before you two weeks ago, when I got that text from our daughter telling me that they had named our grandson after me, I cried like a baby. Y'all were singing that hymn. I never got a word out. I was crying. And I'm still moved by that. Ethan Patrick Wood. I was so happy. I couldn't help myself. I know I'm Presbyterian. We're supposed to be stoic, you know. Like a man who was in a Presbyterian worship service one time, and he got excited, and he was kind of raising his hands, and the pastor said, Young man, what's wrong with you? And he said, I've got religion. And the pastor said, Well, you certainly didn't get it here. <laughs> I was happy, and I couldn't help it. This little infant in Elizabeth's womb... For whatever reason, as the Spirit of God enabled him, he was joyful, and he leapt with joy. The psalmist said in Psalm 16:11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and able to proclaim glorious truth. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so we are still in wonder, who are any of us that the Lord should come to us? But blessed be his name, he has come. He is ours, and we are his. So Christian, be joyful. May we, at least in our hearts, being good Presbyterians that we are, leap with great joy. God has provided a solution to the most profound problem that the world will ever know. He has atoned for our sin, and he's come to do the work himself. Bless his name. Father in heaven, we bow and give thanks to you for Jesus Christ, the unspeakable gift. Bless us now, we pray, as we come to his table, that we may rightly celebrate him and experience him. And may your name ever be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. And so it was that that child would grow up and he would live a perfect life. He would carry out a, a ministry of compassion. And then he would suffer and he'd die. And it was on the night of his betrayal that our Lord Jesus sat with his disciples, those who had been faithful to him, to follow him for those three and a half years. And sitting with them, he took bread, not terribly unlike this, this matzah. It's unleavened. This is matzah. This is Manischewitz matzah from across the street of Publix. But if you look at it, there is intent with the way they put this together. Isaiah the prophet said he was pierced through for our transgressions. This, this matzah is pierced through. With his stripes we are healed. You can see the stripes on this matzah. And the idea of yeast or leaven in the Bible is a symbol of sin. And this matzah is without leaven, is without yeast. 
even as our Lord Jesus was without sin. And so it was that he gave us this to remind us, as he did with his 12 disciples in that upper room. And he took this bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward, and and as they do, I would say that it was really quite an amazing thing of what he chose. We don't have a lot of things by which to remember Christ. Uh, He only gave us a very few. He gave us bread, and he gave us the fruit of the vine, both things that we ingest and become part of who we are. Even so, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we, by faith, take him into our lives, becomes part of who we are. And so now as we pass these elements, we would ask that you might hold the elements so that we can partake together.
Lord Jesus, bread of life, thank you that you were crushed to put to death the deeds of the devil that we might have life. Take and eat. And so I've been asked, John, what are we to think of? We pass these elements, it takes time. Gordon plays lightly in the background. The elements are being passed and we've been served. We're holding on to these elements. What should go through our mind? Well, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We remember the incarnation. We remember the life, the miraculous life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember the suffering. We remember the pain. We remember the cross. But we remember the resurrection and how our Lord Jesus rose victorious from the grave. And then we think of how we've fallen short, how we have damaged the relationship between us and God, and then we think of the redemption, that these elements, the body and the blood of Christ, has brought to us. And so he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat of my body, and drink of my blood. You show forth my death until I return. Once again, we're going to ask that you hold the elements so that we can partake together.
So it was that our Lord Jesus willingly and for the joy set before him, for our benefit, for the salvation of our souls, would spill his blood. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He invites you by faith to partake of him today. If you have not come to a place in your life where you're sure that you have taken the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I invite you, as we partake of him here, that you would partake of him in your heart. Drink all of you of it. The Bible tells us that after they had had their meal... They sang a hymn and then departed, a great hymn of joy of the gospel realized. Go tell it on the mountain. Let's stand together as we conclude.
the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.